round two of Lessons in Gethsemane, we looked at how some other responses to disappointment and pain and suffering in our lives. Now we're going to compare and contrast that with Jesus himself. So this is the way of Jesus. In his instruction to his disciples, he says this. He says, watch and pray so that you may not enter into temptation. So first watch and then pray. He tells his disciples to watch. Now watch is, in the Greek, is nepsis. And it's actually a word that the early church used to develop this practice of watchfulness or wakefulness. Christians were woke way before it was trendy to be woke. <clears throat> I debated about telling that joke or not. But, <laughs> but this is an, actually an ancient Christian discipline practiced by the followers of Christ for the past 2,000 years to be watchful or wakeful. Evagrius Ponticus, who is a what's known as a desert father, there was a, a sect of Christians who wanted to follow Jesus, and they looked at his life and said, well, he went to the wilderness, we're going to go to the wilderness, and they forsook everything and, and sought the Lord in that place, I'm not advising you to do that, I'm just saying that's what they did. Um, this was in the early um, time just after, after Christ had ascended. And he wrote this, he penned this in, in his desert experience. He said, be the doorkeeper of your heart and do not let any thought come in without questioning it. Questioning it. Question each thought individually. Are you on our side or on the side of our foes? And this is the idea of watchfulness or wakefulness, that we are guarding our heart, that we are like a sentry that's on patrol. And we, we monitor everything that comes in and comes out of our heart. And... This is what Jesus is advising us to do. There's, there's something about going through a difficult season, about suffering or disappointment that opens us up to believe lies. And if you remember, Jesus' term for the devil is the father of lies. That's how he operates. And so he's warning us that when we're going through these seasons that are difficult, that are uh, disappointing, that we need to be on guard. We need to be careful what we believe. We need to be careful about what we believe about God. We need to be careful about what we believe about others. And we need to be careful about what we believe about ourselves. We need to guard ourselves with truth. And like the, the armor of God, we need to put on the belt of truth and be prepared. Because when we're in these, in these times, we're vulnerable. We're vulnerable to believe, you know, maybe I did something wrong and that's why this is happening. That's a common one. Uh, maybe God isn't actually good. I, I remember a conversation I was having with a student uh, over a very common topic. He was struggling with his singleness. And he, not to make light of that, um, but that just happened a lot in college ministry. Um, and we just got to the point, we went back and forth for the better part of an hour. And we got to the point where I, I just looked at him and I said, do you believe that God is good? He said, yes. And then I asked him, do you, be, do you believe that you're following him and, and you're walking with him right now? And he said, yes. And then I said, you have to be convinced of the goodness of God. And we as followers of Christ have to be convinced of the goodness of God. And then when we get in these places, we can be on guard and we can know that God is good. We can trust him and we can invite his purposes in and uh, his, what he wants to accomplish in those seasons. Does that make sense? Okay, so, so watch, watch, watch. Be on guard. And the second thing is to pray. And Jesus does these three things in his prayer. Um, and I think it's really cool. So the first one is he gives God his feelings. 
He says that I'm overwhelmed. And this is, I mean, reading this chunk of scripture is really raw and unedited. It's so real. And it's really refreshing to me because a lot of times I edit my prayer when I start praying. I, I get a lot more sanctified. My vernacular can change. I start using words I didn't normally use in everyday conversation. You know, we, we edit our, ourselves when we start to pray. But I actually believe that this is, and you know, it's so funny, and, and we, we struggle to admit this sometimes, but sometimes we think prayer is boring, and I think it's because we're not actually praying. Sometimes we're just talking at God, or we're, we're talking to God, but we're not talking with God. It's not an open dialogue. And even sometimes when we do talk with God, we're, like I said, we're editing who we are and how we really feel. But Jesus isn't editing himself. He's, he's being honest. God, I, I can't do this. This is hard. This is overwhelming. I don't, f- like, this, this feels heavy, right? When you look at this, it's so relatable because in the Psalms, it's, it's so similar. They, you see these crazy things in the Psalms. I, I just took an Old Testament survey class um, for my credentialing with the assemblies. And one thing you learn about Psalms is that you don't build theology on Psalms, <laughs> Because they have things like crush their babies against the rock and just all this gnarly stuff. And it's, it's people being honest with how they're feeling before God. And God isn't afraid of, of dealing with what is really going on in your life. In fact, he welcomes it. But sometimes we, we put the shame on ourselves that, that God's not putting there. He's inviting us to be real. And Jesus is teaching us here that in our prayer, we need to give our feelings to God, how we really feel, unedited, raw, and true. John Ortberg, who's a a mentor of mine, he says this, that, that prayer isn't a place to be good, it's a place to be honest. It's, it's a place to be honest. This is just like Adam and Eve in the garden, right? We're, we're hiding how we really feel from God because we feel ashamed sometimes. And not only do we hide from God, but at times we hide from our community. And at times we even hide from ourselves about how we really feel about something. But prayer is actually a safe place to bring all that we are before all that God is. It's an infant. And man, when you do this, there's such a... God has never been more real to me than when I'm honest with him about what I'm feeling. No edit button no moralizing or trying to justify myself, just honest. And God always rightly interprets us, which I love. He knew that the woman that gave her only coin, he knew that it was her last coin. He always rightly interprets us. I love that about God. We have a high priest that is compassionate, that sympathizes with us, that intercedes on our behalf. And we need not be ashamed. We need not edit ourselves when we come before him, but we need to be honest with how we're really feeling. Then secondly, what he does in his prayer is he gives God his desires. Feelings don't just stay feelings, right? They, they bring forth our desires. They manifest into what we actually do, our actions and our desires and what we want. He says this, Jesus says, let this cup pass from me. And he's telling God that as far as I can, I can tell that he doesn't want to go to the cross. This is the, the climactic moment of his vocation. And he's saying, I, I don't want to do this. He's being honest. And he's, he's teaching us by example to bring all of our desires to God, not just the good ones. And just like our emotions, 
that we edit. Sometimes we edit our desires before God too. We filter out the bad desires and we either stuff them or apologize for them or try to forget about them, but we're not honest about them before God. Again, like I said earlier, God has never been more real to me than when I've been honest about my desires. He meets me in that place. I'll be vulnerable with you here tonight that times when I've wanted to argue with my wife or just, you know, if you're like me, you have internal arguments that you always win. Um, Really good at those. (laughs) Um, And I I just say, God, this is what I want to say to my wife. This is what I would like to tell her in this moment. And he meets me there. And in the most loving and compassionate way, he says, love your wife like Jesus loved the church. And that's the Holy Spirit's job. That's when he comes to life in our lives, when he convicts us of sin and righteousness and judgment. He's doing his role. He wants to be in those tender, deep places of our soul and and bring Christ's formation into those moments. So let's be honest about our our desires. I remember one time, this is such a simple example, but it's coming to my memory. Uh, I really, when we first got married, I really wanted a motorcycle. It was just a phase, and I just really wanted a motorcycle. And my loving wife was like, okay, well, if you pray about it and you feel good about it, we'll get you a motorcycle. And I had all the right justifications for it. You know, it's economically friendly. The parking on campus would be great, yada, yada, yada. And uh, so I was just, and I never thought to pray about it. Like, why would God be interested in my desire for a motorcycle? But God is far more interested in everything in our lives than we can actually know. (laughs) He wants to be involved in all of it. And so I started praying about, Lord, if you want me to have a, desire, uh, a motorcycle, make it happen. If not, just make the desire go away. And in a week, I didn't think about a motorcycle. A week later, like I would drive by them and my wife said, you haven't mentioned before. You know, I brought it up all the time. Anytime we'd see them, I'd say, hey, look, you, <laughs> I could be riding one of those. And in a week after praying this prayer, I, I didn't think twice about them. And it was just the Lord working with my honest desires. And I think if we do this, we could actually really revolutionize the way that we pray. What if in a moment of temptation to lust, rather than feeling bad or or beating yourself up or or even just repenting, we just talked to God about it. We just invited him into that space in our lives that a lot of times we feel ashamed of and hide. We could do the same thing with with greed. If you, you look at somebody's car and you say, man, I really would like that. What if you invited God into that moment and just said, Lord, this is what I'm feeling. This is what I'm wanting and desiring. And I just believe that the Lord would meet you in that moment and speak his truth over your heart. That the truth that you've hidden in your heart as you've uh, abided in him uh, will, will come up and he'll show you. Um, the third thing Jesus does in his prayer, so he gives his feelings and he gives his desires, but he doesn't stop there. And this third point is really important. He gives his trust to God. He ends up saying, not as I will, but as you will. At the end of the day, Jesus' deepest desire was to do God's will. For the Father to have his way with his life. And it's the same for those of us who are filled with the Spirit of God. We all deeply want to honor God, even with our strongest desire, even when our strongest desires tell us otherwise. It's our deepest desire. And there's this war that we have in ourselves sometimes with our deepest desires versus our strongest because they're not always the same. Sometimes we have really strong desires that aren't true to our calling to to honor God and to fulfill his will for our lives. 
And so when we do this, when we give our feelings and then we give our desires, I think we can get to the place where we give him our trust. And we allow this deep desire of our heart to be the kind of person, just like 1 John says, to be just as Christ is in the world, so are you in the world. I think that's what can happen when we do this. So some Christian life lessons for you, and then we'll wrap it up. Like I said, I think if we do this, we'll get to a place where we can let go of control and let God have his way. Like I said earlier, control is just such an illusion, and we end up so frustrated at the illusion of control. But if we actually follow these steps of giving, watching and praying and giving God our feelings and our desires and our trust, I think we arrive at this place where we can earnestly say that, God, I trust you. And like I said earlier, that to be convinced of God's goodness. So this is what I would like you to do. Anytime you're feeling disappointed or your life isn't trending in the direction that you would have hoped, um, I want you to, to do what Jesus modeled for us to do. I would like for you to watch to be watchful and to keep an eye out for the things that you're believing and the ideas that are coming in. If it doesn't, if it doesn't line up with scripture, that's, that's not from him. That's not a good idea you want to hang on to. Run things by, by the word of God and by the community that God has placed you in and check it with his Holy Spirit that lives inside of you. Follow the peace of God on your life. Be watchful in these moments and then pray. This is, I call it like Gethsemane prayer because that's what it is. But when I have these moments where I feel disappointed or I, I'm, I'm dealing with these emotions, I, I go through these simple steps. God, here is what I'm feeling. Lord, here is what I'm desiring. And finally, Lord, here is my trust. I trust you, God, with this and I, and I allow your deepening work in my life. When you invite God into that place, man, Christ is gonna be formed <laughs> in us like Paul talks about. There's a book called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality by Pete Scazzaro. It's a great book um, that I've learned a lot from, but the premise of the book is that we can't actually be spiritually mature unless we're emotionally mature. Um, and he outlines all of that in the book. And, and being emotionally mature doesn't just mean you're happy all the time. <laughs> it means you're honest and you understand why you feel the way that you feel. And you're able to come to terms with those, those things. And, and Jesus is modeling emotionally healthy spirituality here in the garden. He's being honest with God. He's, he's understanding why he feels the way that he feels. And I, I want to invite you to this level of intimacy with Jesus. That you allow yourselves to feel what you're actually feeling. To go into the deep things in your soul and to begin to understand why you feel what you feel. And I, I will just caution you, this is a difficult process. And it's heavy and tiring, but it's in this place that God invites us to a deeper life in him. Life is going to continue to come together and fall apart. Man, I chose a really great message for my inaugural teaching in Christian life. <laughs> Let me tell you about disappointment and pain and suffering. But this is just what the Lord's been showing me lately. That life is going to come together and it's going to fall apart. And it's okay because Jesus is Lord. And we can learn from him. I want to wrap back around to, um, oh, one more thing. One more closing thought on that. 
that if we're not emotionally healthy, our emotions will live in the shadows and they will puppeteer us and they will manipulate us to doing things that aren't true to who we, we would be. And so I just want to encourage you to, to have emotionally healthy spirituality. Um, I left off saying how we were disappointed about the house. And since it's been such a, a somber evening, I want to end it on a good note. So we lived in that apartment, like I said, that two bedroom that we shared with a college student. And um, we would go to staff meetings now at Patrick and Bethany's house because they were able to get their first home. And next door to where they lived was a woman and her husband and their three sons. Names are Joe and Emily. And they saw us all the time because we were always in and out. And again, the ministry center moved from the Butler house to their new house. And they, they learned about what we were doing. And they also worked at USC. So we'd see them from time to time on campus. And they loved the Lord. And so they were just excited about what we were doing. They were excited about seeing the students and, and hearing the stories of the transformation that was taking place. And so a few years go by. We stopped thinking about the house and our desire to have one. Um, and to some degree, become okay with what the Lord has called us to. We, we bring our first child home to our apartment, um, and life is going well. And then the house next to Patrick and Bethany goes up for sale. Um, and we, we're not in any position in this point to buy a house. <laughs> and they, we would see them from time to time. They'd give us opportunities to make money, proctoring exams and different things. And... They always joked with us, you know, hey, this is a great home to bring a baby home to, or hey, we'd love for you to buy our house, and we're just like, hey, there's no way that that's going to happen. Um, if you saw what we make, you would know. Um, but they, that was on their heart to do that, and fast forward a couple months, a supporter of ours came up to us and said, hey, the Lord put it on our heart. We, we want to give you the down payment for a house, and we were like, okay, so what does that look like? So they gave us a number, and we had factored it out with the mortgage that we've got to put 20% down, you know, so we can afford the payments and, um, and qualify for the loan. And so we had the amount, and we, we knew that, okay, this is 20% of this much, right? And so we uh, one day sat down with Joe and Emily, and we said, hey, this, just to be honest with you, this is what's happened, and uh, here's what we can afford. It was well below their asking price for their house. It was well below the, what the house had praised for. And we were expecting, you know, a counter or, you know, to have to work with them or something. And they're like, well, let us think about it and get back with you. A couple days later, my wife is spending her devotional time with the Lord. And she comes into the room and she says, hey, I feel like the Lord said that he's going to give us this house and it's for him. And I was Cautiously optimistic. I know sometimes as charismatics we can hear what the Lord <laughs> says, but it's sometimes what we want to hear. Um, and so I just said, well, that's great. Let's, let's hold on to that, but let's also just, you know, let's not have any expectations. <laughs> I'm a bit of a realist. And so 30 minutes after that conversation that I had with my wife, she got a text from Emily saying that, hey, we agreed to sell you the house for the price that you listed. And so we were given this beautiful first home that there was no way we could have afforded um, that the Lord gave us, and we've had the privilege of using it for him, for ministry, and continue to use it for him. I, wanna, I want missionaries to be in our home and all sorts of different ideas that I have, but the Lord took that, and he used it, and he's blessed us. Um, so I wanted to end on a happy note tonight. <laughs> so thank you. Let's, let's pray. 
Father, we, we come before you tonight um, seeking to, to really learn from you, to learn the lessons that, that you displayed in your life. Lord, you are the author and perfecter of our faith. And so we look to you, Jesus, as, as disciples, as learners, as, as your children who love you and want to imitate you in this world. Uh, God, would you help this word to go forth tonight? God, would you help us to receive what it is that you have for us in this text and in this lesson? Um, God, we, we thank you for all that you're doing. I thank you for my brothers and sisters who are here tonight. And to all those that will watch, God, I pray that you will speak and you will move and that you will have your way. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.